This is Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, episode number 40. Today's special guest is Erica Del Pozo. During our interview with Erica, she shares her personal experience with burnout as an occupational therapist and how it changed the trajectory of her career. Stay tuned. Hi, healthcare leaders. I'm Tracy Christofferson. And I'm Michelle Trosett. We're your hosts for Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, and we are so grateful you joined us today. You're about to see healthcare problems and challenges through a brand new lens and take your leadership to a whole new level with this podcast. We've coached healthcare leaders from across North America for over 30 years as they strive to establish healthy healing organizations and thriving work cultures. This is the only podcast that shows healthcare leaders how to apply polarity thinking, the missing logic in healthcare to their reoccurring challenges so they can stop wasting time, money, and resources on fixes that fail. If you want to create a healthy healing organization where staff and leaders thrive and perform at their highest level, where values are aligned, outcomes are sustainable, and the highest quality of care is delivered, then this podcast is for you. Keep listening. Each week, you're going to learn how to leverage a polarity mindset and manage competing priorities as we use a polarity lens to explore everyday challenges with the leaders who are striving to manage them. We're thrilled you're here. Hi, it's Michelle. And Tracy. As you just heard, this week's episode features the interview we did with Erica DePozo in January on the topic of burnout. And before you listen to it, Tracy and I just want to, again, extend our deep gratitude to all the healthcare leaders and clinicians for their dedication, extraordinary efforts, and the sacrifices you've been making and caring for patients. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Can't say that enough. Yes. And, you know, we also want to acknowledge that some of you came into this unique and stressful situation already burned out or overwhelmed and our hearts go out to you because we can't imagine how challenging that must be for you and you know these are extraordinary times and we just want to re-emphasize to you do whatever you can to take care of you please reach out to others for support talk to others about what you're experiencing know that you are not alone that we are all in this together and that we are here for you. Yeah. And we know we have many listeners to our podcast that are not necessarily in healthcare, but you have shared with us in various ways, the value you get out of listening to our topics. And we just ask of you that to be holding these incredible healthcare clinicians and leaders in your heart, in your mind, give them all the support that you can We ask that you, like all of us, follow the guidelines that um, are sometimes changing day to day, but that you contribute in keeping our environment safe because it really impacts those on the front line. And uh, let's just do whatever we can to support them. Yeah, they're they're risking their lives basically every single day. Yes. uh, For you, and they're risking the health of their loved ones. So let's do whatever we can. You know. If you know anybody who's a healthcare leader or a healthcare clinician, reach out, see if there's something you can do. If you're going to the grocery store, can you pick up groceries for them? Just anything that you can do 
send them a note. Let them know they're in your heart. Let them know you're thinking about them. Let them know you appreciate them. Just whatever you can do, I think, will be really helpful. Yes. And if you are a healthcare leader and you listen to our podcast or you know, share, have shared it with others. We also want to remind you that we have started a Facebook group um, really dedicated to healthcare leaders to be resilient and balanced during these times. And um, you can just go to our Missing Logic LLC Facebook page and click visit group at the top of our page. We ask you a few questions and we have a growing, thriving community of healthcare leaders that are really here to support each other. Yeah, we just want to really provide a space for you to connect. Uh, you know, we're we're all experiencing right the kind of the the social distancing, but we don't have to be isolated from each other. And there's lots of ways to leverage technology, and this is one of them. And we just want to provide a community, a place for you to connect, to, to get lifted up, and a way for us to support you. So please join the group. Let us know what you need. What's going to support you most. Um, we're all in it together and uh, we just want to do whatever we can to help you. So please join us. Yes. And enjoy our interview with Erica. Thank you. Hi, it's Tracy and Michelle. Here we are. Here we are again. Another day in the studio. That's right. That's right. We've just been pumping them out lately. <laughs> <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> having way too much fun doing this. We are. We are. And what a great interview we had today. Yes, yes. Today we interviewed Erica Del Pozo, and we actually discovered her on the internets. Yeah, we did. (laughs) We did. We discovered her work, um, and she is another healthcare professional who is very passionate about combating clinician burnout. It all started with her story, which was so powerful. Oh, yes. Yeah, I really... Uh, appreciated her, um, just her vulnerability, right? And her willingness to share her story and and how it's impacted her life. And, um, and, you know, she is um, just a delightful young lady as well, I would say. She is. She is. I've enjoyed listening to her on her podcast. And, you know, you kind of get to know people because we listen to a lot of different podcasts, and I'm sure all of you out there are getting to know us. <laughs> there's something, there's some magic that happens. So yeah. it was great to have Erica. So let me tell you a little bit about Erica. So Erica holds a BA in dance and master's in occupational therapy from Nova Southeastern University. Erica has practiced in outpatient pediatrics for five years and also um, has experience with working with older adults with progressive neurological conditions. She created a modified dance curriculum. Doesn't that sound fun? Mm -hmm. For adults with Parkinson's disease in Boca Raton, Florida in 2016. Erica served as an adjunct professor at Nova Southeastern University for three semesters. Her special interests include promoting work, well-being, and burnout prevention in healthcare. She is CEO and founder of Joy Energy Time, a wellness community dedicated to empowering healthcare professionals to grow in their wellness practices and advocate for Im- to improve the industry. She's also the creator and co-host of Burnt Out to Lit Up podcast, a holistic wellness show for healthcare professionals. Erica has worked with several distinguished continuing education agencies, creating short and long evidence-based courses around holistic and multi-level approaches to address burnout and mental health in healthcare. 
She also has presented her course at both the state and national level occupational therapy conferences. Erica has recently accepted a role as an educator for MedBridge Education. We will include all of her links in our show notes. And without further ado, let's listen to our interview with Erica. Well, welcome, Erica. We're so grateful to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And, uh, you know, we always start out with just a little get to know you kind of conversation. (laughs) So we noticed that you and your husband travel for work and pleasure. And so we were curious of all the places that you've been, what's your favorite and why? For travel therapy or in the world in in general? Whatever you choose. (laughs) Both. Um, Both, yeah. (laughs) Well, my favorite place in the world is Spain so far. My husband and I have been there twice, and we love Spain. Um, I could live there easily. Um, And then in terms of travel therapy, our favorite place, that's really hard. Right now we're currently in Washington State. And we've been loving it here, but I also loved California. And I just think, you know, we've only done these two states and it's really hard to pick a favorite because we've had so much fun in every part. Um, The hikes up here have been a little bit more epic, but we also love Yosemite too. So um, not a great answer, but I love Washington and California. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great answer. Sure. You can love whatever you want. Yes, absolutely. And I've, I've been to about 27 different countries. I've never been to Spain, so that's yeah. definitely on my list to get there. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, I've never absolutely. been there either. But I hear it's awesome great. things about it. So, yeah. You'll inspire us. To yeah, you guys got to get out there. I yeah, know, we do. We do. <laughs> so, Erica, we're so excited because you're the first occupational therapist we've had on our show, otherwise known as OT, our <laughs> OT colleagues out there. <laughs> and uh, what led you uh, to choosing OT as a career? So, I've always been interested in medicine since I was a little girl. And I remember um, going through the the different encyclopedias my parents and grandparents had and always fixated on the human body, learning about the different systems and just so fascinated with medicine. I thought I was going to be a doctor one day. And then um, as I started to grow up, I had other really strong interests as well, like journalism, uh, anthropology, and I actually majored in dance in undergrad. And I graduated with a bachelor's of arts in dance because I was Also, this other passion of mine was to become a professional dancer. But during my training and during my schooling, I had um, several stress fractures. It was a difficult time in my life. And I started to think about maybe being a professional dancer is not the best um, long-term career plan for me. And I started to freak out a little bit. And I knew that my, my body, I was just putting my body through too much and I couldn't physically, mentally couldn't handle it. And so I started to think about the things I was interested in, like um, people and the humanities and and medicine. And then I realized um, I was talking to a friend of a friend of mine that was an occupational therapist. And she was telling me about this awesome career, how great it was, how you can combine science with creativity and everything sounded amazing. It sounded like a career where I could have that um, room to do um, to combine my different passions for people and for 
being creative and then science as well. And so that's how I got into occupational therapy. Wow. I wondered how you made the transition. Yeah. I saw that you were had been in dance and I thought, wow, that's a really interesting transition <laughs> from dance to <laughs> occupational therapy. <laughs> you- yeah. And during my undergrad career, since I started out technically pre-med, I did a lot of the my sciences my freshman year. So I graduated on time and I my yeah. senior year, that's when I really got into, okay, what are the other prerequisites for OT school? Um, and then some by some miracle, I fit that all into four years. So Wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. Oh, so uh, and tell us a little bit how you met your husband, Mike, who's a physical therapist. So we got an OT and a PT team. Um, how did how did the two of you meet? And I'm curious if you ever practiced together as well. <laughs> um, well, we met while we were both students in grad school. So we went to Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale. And there is a lot of transplants there. A lot of people from the Northeast and the Midwest come to Fort Lauderdale. And so he is from Philadelphia. And he's a, he was a PT student. I was an OT student. And the healthcare professions division, that's where everyone is housed. Um, DO students, nursing students, optometry, OTPT, dental, everyone, um, where they had a Halloween party um, at a nearby Hard Rock Casino and one of the clubs in there. And we met off campus, but it was a function hosted by our school. And we just met at a party. And then, then the next day we went to dinner and then <laughs> the rest was history. We've been <laughs> together for eight years, been married for three years. And we have never worked together in terms of like a clinical traditional mm-hmm. OTPT type of thing. But we... Um, all of our friends are OTs and PTs and um, we have, you know, we, especially in school, we studied a lot together. We had some overlapping classes together. So it was really fun. Oh, that's great. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. You just knew, right? You were meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we dated. We, we, uh, we started, um, we hung out for a few months, nothing official yet. I was I really liked him, but I didn't want to rush. And then after, I think, three months into um, dating, he asked me to officially be his girlfriend. And, and then uh, that's where I, um, I met his family a few months later at a family wedding, a family mm-hmm. member's wedding. And, um, and yeah, we've just been um, doing this whole OTPT adventure together. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's great. yes. That's really great. Well, you know, um, we have a common interest. Um, and that is uh, the national call, right, to take action against clinician burnout. And we've done a number of episodes on our podcast um, where we focused really on burnout, and we've had a dietitian on, and we've had a physician, and and then we had Charlie Alexander, who really is the you know the lead, the key leader for the whole effort at the National Academy of Medicine for the clinician mm-hmm. burnout um, effort, and. Um, you know, we know there's a lot in the literature, as you're aware, around burnout um, and, and that it exists across all health professions, yes. but really the evidence so far in the research has really been around mostly physicians and nursing. There's not as much uh, or very little in some instances around some of the other health professions. And we know you've had a personal experience with um, burnout as a clinician and I just really thought our listeners would love um, to hear your experiences, your insights, lessons learned, um, 
and, you know, anything else you want to share with them around that kind of experience for um, somebody who's in the occupational health profession. So Mm -hmm. can you share a little bit about your experience uh, with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And thank you for, um, again, having me on the show and having that well-rounded perspective from different people in healthcare uh, and their experience on, on burnout. Because yes, there's a lot of research and attention on physician burnout and nurse burnout because there's a lot more physicians and nurses in the U.S. compared to um, OTs and PTs, and there's a lot more funding and research and um, compared to other professions. But in my own experience, you, you know, I, this is something that wasn't covered when I was in school, so I had no idea or no um, notion that something like this could ever happen to people that are fresh out of school or could ever happen in general. Like we entered healthcare because we didn't want a nine to five desk job. We wanted to treat patients and that was so fun and exciting. And then, um, you know, once I started working my first job out of school, I was an outpatient pediatrics and I had long hours. And then on top of that, I would get home and have to finish all my paperwork, all my documentation, my evaluations. Um, I felt like I could never, ever catch up. And this was slowly building over the course of um, six, seven, eight months. And then burnout was slowly starting to develop in me. And since I wasn't aware of this, it just kind of became normal to me. The feelings of completely being depleted, um, feeling detached from my work, but not telling anyone about it because I didn't think that you know, I just felt like this is probably normal to feel this way. And I didn't really question it too much. And then I was just so fatigued um, physically as well. And then I was constantly questioning if I was doing the right thing. I was questioning my abilities um, as a new grad and just second guessing everything and felt that low self-efficacy. And then one day uh, my coworker saw that I was getting ready from my next patient, but she could tell something wasn't right. And she had asked me, are you okay? And then at that moment, I just, I think I needed someone to ask me that so bad because I didn't, I was like a shell kind of, of who I was. I was going through the motions. And once she asked me that, I finally like got back into myself and had a moment uh, thankfully, no, no one else was around, but I started to cry and realize, oh, oh my goodness, like this is something that I was trying to ignore or something that I wasn't even acknowledging. And here it is. And I felt completely weak and vulnerable and that I couldn't handle it, which is what typically, you know, with burnout, you feel like, um, and the, 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 um, what was I going to say? The, the like emphasis for burnout typically falls on the individual. Like it's like your fault, you're weak, you couldn't handle the workload, et cetera. So that's kind of how I felt, even though no one was really putting the blame on me at this point. But then with my first job, they were so great in making accommodations around my schedule. They worked to lessen some of my workload and they gave me, they, um, they made it clear to me that like, I can tell them, no, let's reschedule this for another time. So I did have that autonomy and I was really grateful for um, the supportive team at this job. And then unfortunately, after being there for two years, I moved. Um, fortunately, I got engaged and I moved in with my fiance, now a husband. But unfortunately, I had to get a new job because I moved in with him and it was too far um, from my current job. And then so when I 
started working at another facility with a different um, population, not pediatrics anymore. This is where I experienced burnout um, to the to like the peak that I, ha- I have experienced it. There was a lot of uh, injustice at work, occupational injustice. Um, there was a lot of fraudulent activities, a lot of unprofessionalism. It was a very corrosive work environment or toxic. And I realized that um, I I couldn't function in a in um in an organization that operated this way. And I had many periods at work and at home where I was just in tears, like sobbing, and I couldn't even believe that these sorts of things were happening to me and I had to um, do things I didn't want to do on a regular basis at this job. And so once I left that job, I you know, made sure I had something else lined up and another opportunity opened up for me. So I became an adjunct professor in the OT program where I graduated from. And I also worked per diem at a pediatric outpatient job. So then I got had a lot of, uh, of space to breathe and reflect and contemplate and think about what had happened. And that's when I got really um, invested into learning more about burnout and um, just l- using my experiences as a way to um, as a way to um, my experiences inspired me to dive into burnout and then has led me to where I am today with my company and my podcast. And so it's been like a long road, but, and it's been difficult, but, um, I have learned so much and I'm able to help people, um, with what I went through. Yeah. It really sounds like that. Um, what a journey. Yes. Yeah. So I was really struck when you shared the story about, it was a colleague that asked, are you okay that kind of opened it up. You know, there was a shift that happened when someone actually showed they cared and asked if you're okay. Did you realize before that moment that you were actually were experiencing burnout? Or was it that moment that you realized that was burnout? Like, where did you really realize you were experiencing burnout? It was, um, I, well, that that's a great question. And I'm a perfectionist and I like to I will, I will always put everyone else first before myself. And so I wasn't really aware that it was happening. I mean, I knew that um, over those few months, the, the the progression of how I was feeling got uncomfortable, but I just didn't want to acknowledge that it was wrong or, or abnormal. Yeah. I just wanted to make I didn't want to make a scene, not make a scene, but I didn't want to make anyone uh, uncomfortable because I felt like my needs didn't matter. And I just had to suck it up and um, be a team player and all these things I put on myself, really. And then after that day, that night, I went to my friend's house, which I was supposed to do anyway. We were supposed to have like a happy hour thing. And I told her, can we just hang out at your house? And I felt like every part of my body was holding on to tension mm-hmm. that, and I finally was able to let it go. Cause I was able to actually talk to someone about this that I wasn't even didn't want to face. And, you know, before that. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. It really struck me when you said, you know, it just became my normal. Yeah. And I think there's probably many times yeah. in our lives. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember the same kind of thing, right. Just, 
pounding it, working hard, long hours, just go, 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 right? And not even realizing that it's become your normal. And I think, you know, um, thank goodness now, right? Another reason nationally to shine a spotlight on this, how it shows up, what it looks like, what it feels like, um, Mm -hmm. so that others can actually recognize it within themselves. Yeah. Right. And seek help. Yeah. And it also, your story also points out to me how important it is that we are aware of our colleagues and Mm -hmm. we, we need to care for each other and having Asking your colleague you work with, are are you okay, is a very powerful question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Being there for your colleagues and actually having that social support, mm-hmm. research has shown, can act as a buffer against burnout. And so when there's the absence of social support and you feel isolated, that can actually increase um, your susceptibility to burnout because social support and community, and community that's one of the key factors that can make or break it in terms of, are you going to experience burnout? I mean, there's many other things, but having social support is one of those key components. Right. See, Tracy, that's why we always were a support system to yeah. each other. Yeah. You and me, you're good at social support. You and me, kid, you're working too hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're pretty good at telling each other. <laughs> but I think, too, it kind of goes back to... Um, one of the polarities that we talk about quite frequently, and you mentioned it, is self and other. Yes. Right? And we're so busy, especially as healthcare clinicians, uh, putting the others first, right? Because it's all about doing what I need to do for my patients, supporting my peers, showing up, being the yeah. the ideal employee, right? Or doing pulling my weight so nobody has to cover for me. It's all yeah. those kinds of things, right? And And then pretty soon we're not... We have no thoughts about us and what we need, right? It's all about the other. And I could just, you know, yeah. kind of get that from yours, your example as well. We've we've struggled with that too. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. really yeah. easy to do. Yeah. Well, and then to your point, yeah. Having that social support, mm-hmm. right? Is is us being aware of the, you know, of the others, but mm-hmm. also of ourselves. So it's kind of that both and and that community that helps you keep that balance between the right. two. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So you shared, um, you know, some of the steps that you took to alleviate your burnout once you realized, Erica, like, you know, um, I think the first place, reducing your hours and making different decisions. Um, what are some other steps that you, you know, consciously took to alleviate burnout in your work life? Mm-hmm. And th- th- this is great because a-, a lot of this, of course, happened before I got into researching it. Mm-hmm. And so these were things I was doing. Um, and then a lot of uh, also some of these things were things that took me a lot of time to get into. So it wasn't just like an overnight quick Fix. It was more of a lifestyle adjustment. And so the first thing in that job was taking a look at organizational factors and workload, work overload um, in that first job was a huge factor in uh, me developing burnout. And so we adjusted some of my hours and also um, the autonomy piece that I can tell the front desk I'm too swamped this week. Can we reschedule this evaluation for next week in pediatrics and occupational therapy, typically um, nothing is urgent or an emergency. So we have that sort of, um, um, we have that on 
as an advantage where I can, we can move our schedules around in that way. And so, um, it was those two external factors that helped to adjust, um, my job demands and so that I could feel more competent in completing my job demands and not feel like I'm drowning in my work. And then, um, I didn't really do anything that first time to address the internal factors because I do have a history of anxiety. I do have, um, type, um, type a highly perfectionistic. And so I never, um, in that first round, I didn't really address my internal factors. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the second time I did experience burnout, it was the best solution was not to adjust work uh, demands, even though I attempted to do that with my employers, because after those attempts, I realized that nothing was going to change. So I had to therefore leave that job. And that was the best thing um, I could have done in order to prevent further burnout and further uh, dissatisfaction. And so after that, I started to get into things that would help me, um, in my, like help my internal factors. And for example, um, working on personal growth mindset, um, meditation, mindfulness, um, journaling, all these evidence-based practices that have been shown to help people with Mm -hmm. burnout. I started to, I self-discovered and also my mom has been really into, she's very spiritual. So she was always into like, um, uh, writing, having a gratitude journal when I was growing up and things like that. I never really thought about, but then when I, after burnout, I started to play around with, um, getting into all these different things. So I, my mom was a little bit of of an influence there and then going into uh, reading books, listening to podcasts and finding online, like finding Instagram, different Instagram accounts and different, um, online pages and things to help me, um, kind of work on myself Mm -hmm. that I wasn't doing I wasn't doing before. Like I really, that was, this was the first time in my life that I was in tune with myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what a gift, right? Like, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, right? Of course, all of that helps with burnout, but it's just, it's such a gift for you as an individual anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right? yes. like, as a person. As a person yeah. and just having that, you know, kind of holistic life and, um, being centered and grounded and, you know, maybe that's why we've been, you know, we've been doing those things for a long, long time. So it's probably kept us, you know, <laughs> from burning out. And <laughs> it is so helpful, right? But some yes. of those things, it's uh, it's creating the habit of it uh, to your point, yeah. right? Like the external stuff can be a, a fix, right? A quick fix, remove yourself or change the situation. And a lot of people will do that, right? But the the harder work, I think, is the internal work. That's the stuff where you got to be quiet, go within. And so what about this is about me and what I need to work through and what I need to think about, right? And the things I need to do to get myself, you know, in that kind of grounded, centered space so that I am better able to handle the challenges that come. I would build that resilience, isn't it, right? And um and, and it's, you know, that to me is, that's the harder part. Yeah. And it's hard to describe it almost unless you've gone through it. So one of the things I've noticed too is we're starting to hear now out in the, you know, in the field or on the media, you know, don't send me to another yoga class. It's starting mm-hmm. to get minimized because it, there's so much emphasis on the system. 
And quite frankly, it's like Tracy said, it's hard to look at yourself, right? Um, But it's so much more than that. And I think people that have very intentionally gone through a personal journey can really help other people that have never slowed down to do that um, because it's really an important aspect of combating burnout. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what... What I'm appreciating about your story and what you're sharing, Erica, is that when we look at the um, the National Academy of Medicine report and they talk about the system issues and the individual factors, as Michelle said, the emphasis is so heavy on the system because that's what the National Academy of Medicine <clears throat> right addresses. They address yeah, system yeah. issues. But <laughs> to your point, right, the second time around when you really started to look internally at the individual factors and the coping and the different things like that, it was it's the two together, yeah. right? It's the combination. Yeah. It's not going to go away just because we address some system factors. For some people, that will have a big impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for many, it, it may not mm-hmm. because of the, the need to address what's internal, right, what's individual to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't think there is any, I think burnout so, um, it is a very individualized personal experience that um, it's hard to say like uh, or make some sort of blanket statement that everyone experiences it because of these factors and only these factors. I mean, there is always almost almost always like a combination. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of the nature of our industry and the nature of the systems we work in, there's a lot of systematic things that need to be changed. But it also comes down to like, um, for example, private practices that can set their own rules. Um, it, we, we have to look at different cultures, like work yeah. cultures. Mm-hmm. And who makes up these work cultures? It's people. And a lot of people um, as in, in healthcare and, of course, in other industries that well, other industries as well, but especially in healthcare, um, there is the the history of workplace bullying and 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 hazing and all these sorts of things that are are um, very adamant in healthcare. And so mm-hmm. we need to take a look at how we approach um, people, how we approach others, how we work on ourselves. Um, it, it's all so interconnected. Yeah. And yeah. if we work on ourselves and being strong leaders, despite what position we're in, if we focus on being that leader and being a role model, then that will have a positive spillover effect with the people that we work with. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. Well, um, what other kinds of things um, or support did you get? I mean, you mentioned the one, you know, the one organization really weren't supported well. It was not a, it was a toxic environment, but you know. And her mom, she mentioned her mom. Yeah. And her (laughs) mom supported her. Not your mom was a toxic. No, (laughs) Just that environment. (laughs) But yeah, you know, but were there other supports or other people or, um, you know, other ways that you found support during those couple of times that it was very difficult for you. Yeah. So my, my husband, which at the time could have been a boyfriend or fiance, depending on what job. Um, but he was always so supportive and I think that's so important, even outside of work, who are the people in your life that can support you? And we all have friends that, um, could be that like to, um, that we can talk really negatively uh, about in terms of like, 
bonding over negative events and bringing each other more and more down, which I feel like is not helpful because you want to have someone that can listen to you and, and have like a safe, safe space for you to, you know, talk about your problems and, and your day, but also have someone that can be there for you, but also, um, support you in a positive way. So even toxic friendships, um, not that I really had, um, any, but I feel like if, I had one that was kind of border. So I didn't even feel better after that. I felt like even worse. So I just, you know, surrounding, make sure um, during that time, making sure I had positive experiences. Um, But I also felt like it was a good look at, you know, in retrospect, thinking about who I was and what stage of life I was in during that time, mid twenties, moved to downtown Miami. So very into just trying to find the next place to go out to the next bar to try the next party to go to. And that was kind of like the mindset, all my coworkers, my friends from school, we were all in because we were just gained independence. We just graduated from school. And so I was in a mindset and in a place where I wasn't really fulfilled deeply. I was just trying to be on the be on the scene, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Like, um, and I I felt like I I was because of these things because I wasn't really working on myself either, and I just felt like I was never truly deeply um, fulfilled. So it was um, not not it was a hard time because of those other factors as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's so important to recognize, mm-hmm. right? Because different seasons of your life have a different impact on your life, right? And there's different things happening that can have a significant influence. I think that's really uh, a great reflection on the influence of that for you. Mm -hmm. Um, What what would you say, if you could say, um, what were your biggest takeaways, like your biggest lessons learned from this experience or these experiences? That's great. That's a great question. I think one of the biggest things I took away from that is that um, you have to be an advocate for yourself first. And um, that's that can be really challenging for someone that has perhaps, um, you know, history of anxiety or depression or pre- even a new grad that's questioning their their, their, um, position in this new organization, they're like at the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak. And it's all these different factors where you may question yourself, or you may believe that you don't have the authority, um, to stand up for yourself. But I believe if you always, you know, you, you enter healthcare, you care about helping others, but you also have to not do it at the expense of martyring yourself. You have to be an advocate for yourself and, um, you know, as far, and that, that's what I learned, you know, and since I've learned that, and since I've been moving forward, I feel a lot more at peace with myself because I feel that sense of control, like, because b- before I felt just so out of control because I didn't have a place to stand. And now I feel like I have, you know, I can advocate for myself and my needs and understanding when it's okay to be a lot more flexible than I wanted to. Like there's, you know, you you can't always get your way, but it's also Mm -hmm. learning about standing up for yourself. So I think that's, that has been the biggest lesson I've learned. Yeah. I think we have more agency than we give ourselves credit for. Yeah. Right. We we can Mm -hmm. make choices. Yep. And we can take those stands when we absolutely need to or want to. And I, I just don't think we 
we always um, maybe have that kind of identity, yeah, right? That yeah. we can that we can do. That's that. not the norm. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, it's not. really not. The so, norm is like to blend in and yeah, and yeah. to just be a, a yeah. martyr. And that's the more you martyr yourself, the more team player you are. It's mm-hmm. like this type of mentality. This that's the you know the sort of things that in, in healthcare are very evident. Mm-hmm. Um, just the nature of the, the how we work. Right. Yeah. It is. It, it is. It's the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So Erica, how did this self-discovery then of how important advocating yourself for yourself is, how it, did it change the traje- trajectory of the remainder of your career? How did that impact your other decisions? So um, once I was um, at the last place I worked at before I left for my husband's travel therapy, it was a wonderful facility where I had, I was a per diem or contractor um, OT. So I had a lot of independence just within that role, but I also learned, um, actually, can you repeat your question again? I forgot. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. I was curious. Um, You made the, you know, awesome point that you, one of your key lessons was advocating for yourself. And so I was wondering how that changed the course of your career once you discovered that. Okay. So I knew I was going somewhere with my story. I just, okay. <laughs> so, um, because I started to say it and yeah. this happens a lot, even on my own show. Um, so, <laughs> That's all right. We're with you. <laughs> <laughs> so in that job, I was there for over two years and I learned that I don't have to say yes to everything. And even in fact, if I say no to some things, um, it's, it's also a message to others that, you know, please respect my, my time and my commitment to my job and please respect, um, my boundaries. And there are times where I learned that I'm going to be able to say yes to cover someone's shift. And I understand this person has to leave. And I understand like, I have to do these things sometimes. Um, but I also learned, um, this was a way, this job was a way of me actually implementing, these lessons of standing up for myself and you don't always have to be, um, it it doesn't have to come off as this nasty sort of thing that you do when you stand up for yourself, you know, you, you can do it with grace and Mm -hmm. you can do it, um, in a nice way. Um, I just think that especially for people like I used to always have so many problems with being assertive. And so you can be assertive and strong and still be, um, highly likable and someone people like to work with and always do your best work. And so I learned how I learned how to balance all that. And I felt very comfortable with that and um, knowing what's going to where I draw the line on certain things and what um, what are other things where I can give a little like you get to learn. I, I really got to learn more about uh, myself in, in that way. Yeah, so that. You actually took your lessons and you had a practice field that you actually could practice them in, it sounds like, in that third role that you were in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Tracy and I, we um, talk a lot about the importance of candor and diplomacy. Mm-hmm. So much of learning to express ourselves and advocate for ourselves is really being able to say what we need to say and being very candid with our colleagues, but also in a very diplomatic way, right? And then it's not as awful as what you imagine it's going to be if you really practice those skills. People actually admire it. Yeah. Because there's more people who 
are on the other side, right? Like you were, where it didn't really feel like they could say anything right? or struggled yep. with bringing their voice. And then when they see other people do it, they actually admire it. And, uh, and, and they're grateful that you have said what you needed to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, um, I'm sure we've all worked with someone that has a rather sour attitude. And when you lead by example, like you don't, um, have to be so hardened or, or sour or nasty when you're communicating with others. Um, I've learned that that positively rubs off of people, not that you can change people. Yeah. And some people yeah. are always, um, you know, they may act a certain way because maybe they're hurt from something else and you never know why people, what is the, you know, behind their, their behavior. But we've worked with people that have that uh, exterior. So I have found that um, not being docile and afraid, but being assertive and um, communicating Mm -hmm. clearly that helps those people too. So that I've noticed that you, you're kind of role modeling and it takes time. It takes a lot of time and a practice and, um, so you're going to make mistakes and, but it's, it's about that effort, putting yeah. in that effort, um, every day. Mm-hmm. 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 So Erica, you mentioned your show and we know that you and your, um, husband co-host a podcast called burnt out to lit up. Share us a little bit about your podcast and, um, some of the different topics you have on your show and a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. So we started this um, in the beginning of uh, 2018, and I this was after three years of listening to podcasts when I started getting into my own personal development, and I thought, to be honest, podcasting was like something only special people did if they had like a special license or something <laughs> weird. I Then I realized anyone can start it. Anyone can load it. Anyone, you, you, you just have to pay for like, um, like the platform to host it on. And then I realized I started to come around and around again to this idea that I, I can do this. Like I can do this. And it, I started, I started it with very kind of low expectations and just for fun and to see what would happen. And, but I knew it was going to have to be a long-term strategy. Um, and I didn't want to do video or YouTube, but I felt like that was way too much work. So <laughs> with podcasting, it's still a lot of work, um, mm-hmm. but it's a different type of work. And when I really enjoy, and we've been doing it for um, over now, two years and uh, my husband co-hosts it with me, like we'll kind of do an intro together. Unfortunately, he's always, um, he can never really be a part of the interviews if they're conducted during the day. But so it's always me pretty much interviewing people, but we bring, bring on different people, uh, healthcare professionals, um, people in the wellness space. And we try to cover all the areas of holistic wellness on our show. Um, we'll talk a little bit about clinical experiences and, um, healthcare uh, issues, but we'll also talk about financial wellness or spiritual wellness or um, nutrition, uh, just trying to cover all the areas of wellness. Um, And we also, um, we just have a very kind of relaxed style and um, we take it day by day or week by week, I should say. But so far (laughs) it's been really fun and um, it's just been a project of ours. So we really enjoy it. Oh, that's wonderful. That is awesome. Yeah, Yeah. we've listened. We enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I listen to you on the treadmill. (laughs) Oh, wow. Doing her wellness. Doing my wellness. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Well, Erica, tell our listeners how they can connect with you. 
Sure. So um, if you're on Instagram, you can find us at joy.energy.time. Um, that's my preferred platform, but you can also reach out or uh, visit our website, joyenergytime.com. You'll find more information about the podcast and other things we got going on in there. And um, we also have a really fun biweekly newsletter, kind of like a magazine in, in, um, in terms of like different stories we'll share, different uh, recommendations, reviews of things. We'll feature, we'll feature healthcare professionals that we find inspiring and kind of like a little mini virtual magazine that we deliver um, twice a month or every, every, other, every other Monday. Um, so you can also find that on our website. Wow, that's fantastic. I really admire you for taking something that was a real challenge, learning about it, you know, um, reflecting on the, you know, really what it means for you as a person and then contributing back at giving back to a community of other, you know, healthcare individuals that probably aren't even aware that they're burned out yet. Yeah, probably (laughs) not. Probably not. And I, I just want to say thank you again for coming on the show and sharing your story. I know that that it's not always easy, right, for people who have been through those uh, situations, experienced burnout, especially in healthcare, to be vulnerable, to do it on the airwaves uh, uh, as well. And so I just really appreciate for our listeners, I'm going to say thank you. Uh, for us, I say thank you because I think you have a wonderful story and it it does need to be shared. And I know they will learn a lot and get a lot from this interview. So thank you so much, Erica. Oh, no, thank you for having me. This was wonderful. And I was never very vocal growing up. So I think, you know, for, for the better, these experiences have taught me that I'm definitely, definitely not alone and that so many people have felt the exact same way. And so that's really what inspires me to have this platform and to keep growing our business and to keep doing the things we're doing. So, and it's opportunities like this where I get to talk uh, more about my story and, and really connect. So thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, it was a pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Don't forget to go to missinglogic.com slash podcast and join the early interest list so you can be the first to get all the details on the new online group coaching program we will be offering to help healthcare leaders combat burnout, live on purpose, and develop balance and resilience in their work and personal lives. Thanks as always for listening to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We'd love to hear and answer your questions. If you have questions, you can email us at questions at missinglogic.com, and we may include your question in a future episode. You can find show notes and links at our website, www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you're the kind of leader who wants to help others, then share this podcast with your peers and other healthcare leaders. We're certain if you found value in it, they will too. Please share this on your social media channels and leave us a review in iTunes. If you don't know how to leave a review, you can find instructions on our website at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast.